if we're going to make God's priorities our priorities, if we're going to seek first the kingdom of God, then it makes sense that we ought to think about what faithful service looks like. And that's what we're going to do tonight in Luke chapter 12. So let me invite you to turn there. Luke chapter 12. We're going to see what faithful service looks like. The focus of the discussion that Jesus has here is not on the content of service, but on the mindset for service. He doesn't give here a list of things to do. Like if you just check out, check off all these things, then you'll be all set. Instead, he wants servants to have this kind of mindset. My master could come at any time, and I need to be ready for him. So let's look at this together. Luke chapter 12, I'll begin reading in verse 35. Jesus says, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward? whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give him them to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more." I have come to cast fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it will be a hot day. And it turns out that way. You hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? And why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way, there, make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge. 
and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison, I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. Jesus here helps us to see that He expects us to be serving Him until He returns. The Master expects us to be serving Him until He returns. And He expects us to be involved in two kinds of service. First, we're going to see He's going to expect us to be involved in faithful service. Verses 35 to 48. And then we're going to see that He expects us to be involved in faith. Service-filled faith. That is, uh, a life of faith. Verses 49 to 59. So first, we must prepare for the return of Christ with faithful service. Faithful service is required while the Master is away. In verses 35 and 36, He tells the disciples that that I'm going to be gone. In chapter 9, verse 21, and in verse 44, Jesus had told the disciples, I'm going away and I'm going to be killed. And three days later, I'll be raised back to life. But the disciples didn't understand what He was talking about because in chapter 9, verse 45, Luke tells us that they did not understand this statement and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask Him about this statement. The the disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about when He said that He would be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and He would be killed and that three days later He would rise from the dead. They didn't know what He was talking about. And now Jesus continues that idea here in chapter 12, telling them that He's going to be going away. And He uses the story of a master leaving And He's saying to the disciples, when I am away, you need to think about My absence like a servant would think about the absence of his master going away for a wedding party. Wedding feasts were much different than the wedding parties that we go to. That is, the receptions that follow the wedding. In those days, in the ancient Near East, there was no how, telling how long a person might be gone because the wedding feast would often last for three, four, sometimes seven days. And so Jesus is saying, you have this master that goes away to a wedding feast. You don't know at what time he's going to come. And so the point is you need to be ready no matter when he comes. Notice the command in verse 35. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be dressed in readiness. This phrase, be dressed in readiness, is the New American Standard's way of explaining the literal idea which is uh, seen in the King James Version. The King James Version tries to translate it as literally as possible and they put it this way. Let your loins be girded about. The idea is that in the ancient Near East, men would wear a cloak and as they were just in casual, uh, uh, going through casual life, they would have it down to their ankles. But then when they would need to work or get up and run, then they would put their cloak in their belt. It's similar to what men do in India. They wear a mundu. And and when it's time to work, they tie it up around their waist and they're ready to go. And you constantly see guys over there doing this. And Jesus is giving them the idea, you don't need to have your cloak down right now. It needs to be up in your belt, ready to work, ready to move when it's time. While, he, while Christ is away, while the Master is away, it is no time for casualness or wasting of time. That's why we need to be, the New American Standard translates it, we need to be dressed in readiness. We need to be ready. We need to have our loins girded. What does readiness look, not, look like? Look at verse 36. 
because it tells us, be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. What does readiness look like? It means that we're ready for the master's arrival. No doubt when you're younger, your father gave you a deadline while he was away. Your mom and I are going to be gone. And while we're away, we expect for you to clean the kitchen and vacuum the floors. Uh, do you understand these as I have told them to you? Okay, and they always add the do, do you understand so that they can use that against you later when they come back and said you said you understood, right? In order for you to be ready for the return of your father, what do you have to do? You can't be using that time to be casual. You need to be diligent with your time. You need to get to work. And sometimes the amount of work that is given requires that you are working the entire time, that you're not spending any time in casualness. But there are some, maybe you had some siblings, certainly none of you would have done this, but maybe some of your siblings risked, risked, risked it, right? And they delayed. Like, I got time. You know, maybe if I wait a few hours then I'll get the work done. I know it's got to be done. I know I need to do it. And I know Dad wants me to do it. But I'm going to wait a little bit. And so maybe they fell asleep and maybe they got involved in some other activity. And what happens? Inevitably, Dad comes home when they're messing around, not doing anything. And at that point, it's too late. It's too late to get the work done. The work cannot be done now because the Father's home and now it's time to to uh, reconcile with Him. Jesus is telling His disciples, don't risk it. I am coming back at a time that you don't know, at a time that you don't expect Me to, and so make sure that all the time while I'm away, you're getting work done, that you are serving, that you are involved in faithfulness. And what He wants them to know, secondly, is that faithful service will be rewarded. Faithful service will be rewarded. Verse 37, Blessed are those slaves whom the Master will find on the alert when He comes. Truly I say to you that He will gird Himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. The reward of blessing is this promise that that we will be blessed. This is a promise that we should believe in and that should motivate us to continual service. That, That if we fulfill what God has told us to do while we are here and while the Master delays in coming, then God will bless us. That is a promise that we should hold on to. But notice the reward that is stated in the second part of verse 37, which I would call a reward of premium service. It says, "Truly, Jesus says, Truly I say to you that He will gird Himself to serve and have them recline at the table. Who's the He there? Okay, he's been talking about the Master being away and the servants working. So really, there's only two groups of people being talked about here the Master and the servants. And what does He say about the Master? When the Master returns, He will gird Himself. He's going to put the towel on Him around His waist and He's going to come and kneel before you and serve. What's the promise here? Normally, I mean, this is surprising because normally when a Master comes home, comes home, what happens? He is served by His servants. It makes sense. The servants come and take care of Him. They they, you know, take his shoes and his coat and they let him sit down. They wash his feet. They, they give him anything that he needs. But here we have a shocking reversal that should strike us. And Jesus says, if you're working when I return, 
I'm going to gird up my loins and serve you. I am going to, to take the towel and serve you. And this is amazing when we think that the Lord of all the universe would be willing to, to bow and serve us. And, and we've, we've seen an example of this already. Our, the disciples are going to see it later. But it is when Jesus bows and gets down and washes the disciples' feet. And so it should not be surprising that He would do that, but it is a great promise that we have that one day Jesus will come and wait on us at the table as if we are the honored guests. Isn't that amazing? This is the reward of, of premium service. We have a further reward in verses 41 through 44, and it's a reward of greater service. Okay, so we have this reward of blessing, reward of premium service, the Master serving us, and then we have a reward of our greater service, that we can enter into greater service. Before we get to that reward, look at the question from Peter in verse 41. Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the answer by Jesus? He doesn't give one, does He? And the fact that Jesus doesn't respond to his question is helpful for Peter and for us. Because I think Peter is, or Jesus is getting Peter and the rest of the crowd and us readers to ask the same question. And it is what Peter is asking. Who is Jesus talking to? Is he talking to the disciples? Is he talking to the crowd there? Is he talking to us as Luke's readers? And I believe that this message is designed not just for the disciples, but for all who hear. Notice verse 54. And He was also saying to the crowds. Okay, so here I think the answer to the question that Peter asked is to everyone who will listen. And what Jesus is going to say is a promise to everyone who will listen. Not just, here you go disciples, this is just for you. You're my special twelve. And there were things where Jesus did talk to them in that way. You know, He says, when you go before people, you're going to be bound in chains and, and you're going to know what to say because the Spirit's going to give that to you. And I think Jesus is making a promise to the disciples alone. He's not going to put words in our mouth. Sometimes we take that passage and, and we'll look at that when we get to it. But, um, but, but I, I think that's a promise just for the disciples. Here, um, we have a promise for everyone. Based on verse uh, 54, I believe He's talking to the entire crowds and by extension or by application, implication, uh, He's talking to us as well. And the reward for all who are faithful in service, all who will listen and be faithful while the Master is away, verse 44, here it is. Truly I say to you that He will put Him in charge of all His possessions. So verse 43, Blessed is that slave whom His Master finds prepared, ready, being faithful in service. That's who is blessed. And He will this master will put him in charge of all his possessions. You remember the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Remember Jesus entrusted uh, some talents to each of the three slaves. One had five talents and the second had two talents and the third had one talent. And they were supposed to take this talent, which is really a form of money, okay, not ability like we think of talents, but it's, it was a, a weight of measure for money and they were supposed to invest it and do something with it. And what did the two faithful servants do? They doubled the money, right? The one with five had ten when the master returned, and the one with two had four, and the one with one, what did he do? He dug a hole in the ground, and he buried it. And he said, listen, I know you're an exacting master, and, and that you're 
you know, you you uh, you are harsh with people when they don't do what you want. So I protected your money, and Jesus said, you could have put it in the bank and got more money than that. You know, you didn't do what I asked you to do. And 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 the response to the two faithful servants, which is what our focus is here in our in, in verse 44, is that the two faithful servants doubled their money and the Master responded to them in Matthew 25, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in few things. And, and listen to this next phrase. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Master. So what was the reward for those who were faithful in service? You know, sometimes we think of service as, oh, it's too much work and I can't wait to be done with service. But what, what is the reward for greater for for quality or faithful service. It's more service. That's actually a gift from God. Here you go. For the rest of eternity, you're going to be uh, uh, living in service to me in a, in, a, in a greater way. Why? Because those who have been given much, uh, who have been entrusted with much, must be faithful to what they have been given. And those who are faithful with that will be rewarded with greater service. There are levels of service in heaven and in eternity. Okay, not, not everybody's going to be on the same plane when it comes to, yes, as far as our acceptance before God, we're all His children. Okay, but, but just like you know, uh, 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 in, in families, there are different responsibilities that people have, different functions. There are also going to be different functions in heaven. Some people will be rewarded with greater service. And that's, that's, that's a great reward to have. So we've seen the Master requires faithful service, verses 35 and 36 and that faithful service is rewarded, verse 37 and 41 to 44. But what is faithful service? What exactly does the Master expect us to do? And we see that in verses 38 through 40. Faithful service means waiting for the Master expectantly. Faithful service means expectantly waiting for the Master. We've already got a hint of what faithful service looks like. Verse 35, be dressed in readiness. And in verse 35, keep your lamps lit. Verse 36, be working while your master away. Verse 37, make sure the master finds you on the alert. Verse 42, you know, a sensible steward is one who's taking care of his responsibilities. Here in verses 38 through 40, Jesus highlights that responsibility of faithful service. In verse 38, he wants us to be ready no matter what time he comes. Verse 38, whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so that is ready or on the alert. Blessed are those slaves. So whether he comes at the second watch or the third watch, there there were three watches in the Jewish uh, mindset. There were there was the first watch, which was from uh, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., and then the second watch was from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and the third watch was from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And if you want to be more confused, then the Romans actually have four watches that were three hours each and and I won't get into all those. But I think this is talking about the Jewish watches of the night. And the point is, is that we don't know which watch is going to come. Like when someone goes away for a wedding, okay, you're babysitting, and someone goes away for a wedding, uh, you don't know what time they're going to come home. right? They may stay out really late. They may not come back till 1 in the morning. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going away as the Master, the wet, uh, and, and, and the Master is going to this wedding feast, and as I'm away, you don't know when I'm coming. If I come at the second watch or the third watch, a time when we normally wouldn't be prepared, right? We're normally at that time we're sleeping. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not a time to sleep. It's a time to work. It's a time to be faithful. 
in order to see what this faithful service looks like, he uses the example of a thief in verse 39. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known... So he shifts metaphors from a master going to a wedding feast and coming back to a servant now to a thief and the owner of a house. If the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. And this is a pretty basic idea, right? Thieves don't telegraph when they're coming to your house. Right? They, they don't send a postcard in the mail. Don't forget, on November 3rd, make sure everything's locked up real tight and you have extra security because we're going to take your TV and jewelry that night. No, that doesn't happen. You don't get a courtesy call like you do from the doctor the night before. Now, just to remind you, tomorrow night there's going to be a robbery taking place at 11.30 p.m. Why not? What would happen if a thief did tell you about his coming in advance? What would happen? You'd be ready for him, right? You'd be like uh, Kevin McAllister on Home Alone, right? He knew that Marv and and, uh, Harry were coming at 9 p.m. on Christmas Eve, and so he was ready for them. They they, They stood no chance for him. And Jesus is telling us, listen, if you knew when I was returning, he's, he's saying, I'm the thief. Okay, Not in every way, obviously. He's saying, but I'm coming at a time when it's unexpected. The thief doesn't come when you're expecting him to come. And so that makes it more difficult. Why? Because just like with us, we don't know when a thief's going to come to our house. And so what does that mean we need to do if we want to protect our house? We always need to be ready for His coming. We need to guard ourselves. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm like the thief because you don't know when I'm coming. And so you always need to be ready for My coming. And that means faithful service. It means having that mindset, my Master could come at any time and I need to be dressed for readiness tonight, today, this morning, every day. Because He could come at any time. Jesus goes on to say in verses 45-48 through that unfaithful service will be judged. So before, He said faithful service will be rewarded. Right? It's going to be rewarded with blessing and with premium service. He's going to serve us. And then with greater service. But but also, here's here's the flip side of it. Unfaithful service will be judged. Christ has given us a great responsibility while He is away. We must be ready. We must be on alert. We must be serving. But what if we don't? What if we are like that sibling of yours who was the one who delayed when Dad was gone? What if we're like that in our spiritual lives? The answer comes in verses 45-48. through But if that slave says in his heart, you know, my master will be a long time in coming. And he begins to use his time by beating his slaves, both men and women, to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with unbelievers. You see what the difference is between the faithful and the unfaithful slave? Isn't it amazing that the master is coming at the same time for both of them? That he's not telling the faithful slave, hey, I'm coming at this time. I'm not going to tell the unfaithful slave. No, they have to be prepared all the time. They don't know when he's coming either. But the difference is, The unfaithful slave is not doing anything while he's away. He's delaying. Verse 47, here's the 
here's the real dagger for us as Christians and that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. Unfaithful service will be judged. It's interesting to note here that the servant in verse 45 does not have an overtly wicked heart. You know what I mean by that? An overtly wicked heart. He doesn't say, you know, I really hate that master. And I know he told me to do something, but I'm not going to do anything for him. Oh, what does he say in his heart? Look again at verse 45. My master's going to be a long time in coming. What does that imply? I'm going to get it done eventually, right? It's like the son who dad said, make sure it's done. Make sure you're working. You better get to work. And it's the son who says, well, I'll just delay. I will get it done, but but not right away. And so he doesn't have an overtly heart. He has kind of a good heart. He, he wants to do what's right, but the reason that he fails is that he delays. The reason that he fails his master is that he delays. Have you ever had that mindset? Where you know what the right thing to do is, but you say, you know what? My master has delayed this long. He's delayed for a long time. I know he said he's coming, but you know, he told the Apostle Paul that too. The Apostle Paul was expecting his coming. He's delayed all these years. Certainly he'll delay more. So why should I expect that he'll return anytime soon? Why should I expect that my life will end as a young person? Right? Why, why would my life not last until I'm 80 or 90? I have plenty of time before the Master returns. And so I'll just continue on in this sin that I'm committing just a little bit longer. And I'll continue to neglect my responsibility to be holy and to reach people for Christ and to encourage believers. I know that He told me to do that. And I will. I will do it. But just later. Just a little bit later. Because my Master is going to delay in coming. Maybe when I get past this hurdle that I'm facing right now, this obstacle in my life, then I'm going to clean things up. And then I will be ready for the Master. You know, I've seen other people delay and you know, God was merciful with them and they turned things around and so I know that I have plenty of time before the Master comes. Friends, hell will be full of people who have that kind of mindset. To say, you know, I, I think I have a little bit more time. I can serve my Master later. And then they'll be shocked when their life comes to an end more quickly than they imagined. And they didn't have time to get right with God. Remember the parable of five virgins in Matthew 25? Or the ten virgins? Five of them trimmed their lamps and the other five did not. When the Master returned, the five virgins who had trimmed their lamps were ready to go. What did the five other virgins do? They say, who cares about that? We don't want to go with you. No, they were desperate. Hey, we want to come. Hey, help us trim our lamps. And the other five were saying, no, I'm sorry, it's too late. They wanted to get ready, but it was too late. Why do we think that we have more time? 
Aren't we confident that the Master could come at any time? That's what He tells us here. He's like the thief. He could come at any time. And so why do we delay? Why also do we think that we'll be more inclined to be ready later? Right? Why do we think our hearts are are suddenly going to change at some point in our life when they're not changing now? Have you ever had thoughts or concerns about your readiness before? You know, I, I need to shore this area up in my life. I need to get rid of this sin that's besetting me. Have you ever had thoughts of that? And yet, what happens right now? You still have not settled that with God. So what makes you think that you're going to settle it later? What, thinks, what makes you think you're going to have time or the desire to settle it tomorrow or next week or next year? Today, friends, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts like the children of Israel who tested God in the wilderness. What is it that Christ is calling you to do spiritually right now? What is that one sin that came to mind when I said, you're delaying? What is it? You've put on hold because you think you can do it later. What relationship remains unbroken because, or remains broken because you are too proud to admit your sin? The Master will come at a time when we do not expect. And those who are wasting their life by delaying will receive. Notice what they receive in verse 46. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect and an hour he does not know. And he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. What are we talking about here? We're talking about eternal condemnation. There's no mercy at the great white throne judgment. It is not God's, oh, well, I I understand. He's going to sign us a place with the unbelievers. We are delaying. If we're saying the Master can come, and He will come at any time, and so I can delay in obeying Him. Notice how clear this text is to each one of us in verse 47. And that slave who knew his Master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with His will, will receive many lashes. Okay, we are susceptible to knowing God's will and not doing anything about it. We can get deep into the Scriptures, study all the truths about Scriptures and what God wants for us. But if we delay and say, i got more time, we don't do anything to change our lives. We don't submit ourselves to God. We don't repent of our sins and believe. We will be assigned a place with the unbelievers. Eternal condemnation. The people who delay are not terribly wicked people at heart in one sense. They're people who know the Master's will. But they didn't get ready. And they wanted to do His will, but later. Don't procrastinate when it comes to serving God. And those people, by the way, will receive a greater judgment than the ones in the remote places of the world who never heard about Jesus and the will of the Father. But what you'll notice here in verse 48 is that they still will receive eternal condemnation. Verse 48 says, But the one who did not know it, who did not know the Master's will, okay, people who never heard about Christ, 
and they committed deeds worthy of flogging. See, they still sin, and so their deeds are worthy of death, eternal death. They will receive but a few lashes. Okay, so, so there is still condemnation for those who are who, who have sinned, but, but they haven't known the Father's will. That is, those who have been given little are not innocent. Okay, and when I say little, I mean they, they don't have all the information that we have. But those, the point is the contrast. Okay, we have been given much. We have this news. We have the Master's will at our fingertips. And if we don't do anything about it, we're going to receive a, severe, a severer judgment than they. Just like there are levels when it comes to heaven as far as our, our ability to serve, so there are levels of hell with regard to the punishment that people will receive for rejecting the Savior. Those who knew Him, who had them, had Him in their midst, those of us who have a completed copy of the Scripture will receive a severer judgment because, the end of verse 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required unto him to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. See, ignorance before God is not bliss. Because when we stand before God, we can't say, I didn't really know that you wanted that. God is completely holy and He will judge even those who did not hear. Everyone who has been given much, much will be required. So we must prepare for the return of Christ with faithful service, verses 35 to 48. And then, secondly, we must prepare for the return of Christ with faith in Christ. We prepare for the return of Christ with faith in Christ, verses 49 to 59. We see three things about faith in Christ. First, faith in Christ brings about necessary division. Here, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, effectively. Verse 51, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. In another place he says a sword. Jesus is so serious about getting ready that He's willing to cause division and for you to experience division because as His followers, we can expect that we're going to create division as well. That's the nature of the message. It's true that Jesus did come to seek and to save the lost. All right, Luke 19, I believe, that says that. But that salvation that He brings and that He offers is something that demands and necessarily divides people. He came to draw a line in the sand and ask, who is on the Lord's side? Right? This is the song we sang earlier. Who is on the Lord's side? He's drawing a line in the sand. Are you on my side or not? Are you going to listen and obey me or not? And in verses 49 and 50, Jesus is distressed about the coming judgment that He will bring at the end of the tribulation. He says, I will, I've come to cast fire on the earth. I think this is talking about the, the final battle there at Armageddon. He's distressed about that, but he's also distressed about his coming crucifixion. And that verse, 50, verse 50, that's the baptism he's talking about. I'm distressed to go. This baptism of God's judgment is going to be effectively uh, uh, drowning in the judgment of God for the sake of our sin. And if we're going to be ready, we need to be willing to divide even the closest of relationships. That's what verses 52 and 53 are about. Five members will be against two, or three and three, and sorry, five members of the family will be divided, three against two and two against three, father against son, son against father, and so on. That if we're going to follow Christ, we need to recognize that we could very well split the closest of relationships. 
we could cause division to the people that we love most. Jesus says that that's what genuine faith will often do. It will bring division. Secondly, faith requires spiritual discernment. Verses 54 and 50, uh, 54 to 56. It requires spiritual discernment. Before the advent of the Weather Channel and the 11 o'clock news, people had to be skilled at discerning the coming weather. And Jesus says, you are. When you see these signs in the sky, you, you know what's going to happen, whether it's going to be a heavy rain or a hot day. And you're very skilled at that. But while you're so skilled at looking at the earth and the sky, you're not skilled at analyzing the present time. That's what verse 56 tells us. You hypocrites! You know how to analyze the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? Why can't you interpret the spiritual realities of what I am doing in, right in front of you, that I am the promised Messiah for whom you were looking? And I am here right in your midst. And you can see all these things in the sky, but you can't see me and the spiritual reality that you see right in front of you. Faith requires spiritual discernment. And then finally, faith requires that we have a settled relationship with God. A settled relationship with God. I'm not sure if you've thought about this parable before. But in order to drive home Jesus' point of being ready and doing something about it now, today, and interpreting the spiritual realities, he uses this analogy. He says, if someone has an offense against you and they take you to court, and if you don't settle with them before the sentence is final, then you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to find yourself in prison without an opportunity to appeal. So, if you found yourself in that situation, if you admit your guilt, and, and you could easily settle out of court before you get to that place where there's nothing you can do about it. So he's saying, before you get there, do something about it. While you have time, do something. And he uses this analogy to drive home our relationship with God. Look at verse 57. And why do you not even, on your own initiative, judge what is right? He's saying, evaluate your current position before God. Judge yourself properly or else you're going to end up like that person who had an offense against someone and who was taken to court and because you want to defend yourself all the way, you couldn't do anything about it and eventually you ended up with nothing you could do. Sitting in jail with no opportunity for appeal and Jesus says, listen, now is the time. Now is the time to settle yourself before God because there is coming a day when you won't have time to do anything. It won't be the opportunity for you to appeal. So settle out of court. In other words, settle your account with God. Reconcile yourself to God. And obviously we know from the larger part of Scripture that we reconcile to our God through who? Whom? Through Christ, right? Like we, we looked at this morning in Sunday School, Second Corinthians 5. We reconcile you on behalf of Christ you know, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this is the time now. If we wait too long, there will be no settlement. Reconcile with God before it's too late. Well, a text like this is full of applications, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time repeating those applications. I simply want to conclude by emphasizing the main point, and that is to get yourself ready for the return of the Master. 
lay aside all of your excuses that are keeping you from serving God as you should today, that are, that, that are causing you to delay. Set aside all those excuses. You know, I'm too old, I've already done all my work, or I don't have that much ability, there's not a whole lot I can do, or I'll do it later, or I'm doing better than someone else, and so it's okay for me to slip up here and there. Lay aside all those excuses, gird up your loins, trim your lamp, be on the alert, because the Master, like a thief, could come at any time. And blessed are those whom the Master finds on the alert, living faithfully when He comes. Let's pray. Father, we pray that our hearts of all people would not be callous to the reminder for us tonight to serve You today. Lord, what great rewards lie in store for us if we trust You and obey today. If we are ready for You to come today. Lord, help us not to delay. You, you promise that we will be blessed and that you, Your Son, Christ, will serve us at the table. Amazing. And that we will be rewarded with greater service. And Lord, we can't think of, of a reward any greater than these so we pray that You would help us to have our eyes fixed on His return. As we've looked at this morning, He will have the final victory. Now is the time to settle our relationship with You. So help us to be ready, to have our lamps trimmed and ready to go so when the Master returns, we can open the door to Him when He knocks. Lord, we don't know how much longer our lives will last, whether it be uh, 30 years or... 20 years or one week could end because of the because of the the curse that's on this world and death that comes to all people or it could be that Christ returns in that time frame so no matter no matter when that happens that our life comes to an end we want to be ready or give us faithfulness and the faith that we need to be ready for our Master. We long for His return and we pray that He will come quickly. In Jesus' name, Amen.